This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Interest rates are higher. I know people don't like that, but you should be welcoming a stronger economy. Maybe a deal has a point about the machinery of capitalism being oiled with the blood of the workers. The United States is a country that has always paid all of its bills. Lannister always pays his debts. Don't let the bastards get you. Hello and welcome to Comedian versus Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How are you going? Uh, doing very well, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Fresh back from a trip to Tasmania. I went to Hobart for a couple of days, which was Ooh. great. Uh, never been before. Went to Mona, actually, the Museum of Old and New Art. Uh mm-hmm. Owned by David Walsh, who's a very famous art collector after making a lot of money making a a sports betting and horse race betting algorithm. And so he made tons of money doing that, maybe started started out card counting. Anyway, uh, as we were walking through the museum, uh, my wife Anna pointed out that that was his living room upstairs. I didn't realise that he kind of spends a lot of time there. He lives there. And I'm like, imagine if we ran into him. Sure enough, he was at the bar. He was at one of the bars. So, yeah, went and introduced myself. I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was dying to meet me. We compared sports betting tips, racing racing strategies. Apparently, uh, apparently, selecting race five number five in every meet is perhaps not the most. <laughs> finely tuned strategy, but oh. uh, still, it was good to swap notes. Uh, <laughs> the number five is your lucky number. I know, <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, he, he, yeah, not the secret to millions ah. of dollars in uh, success. Anyway, uh, but massive show coming up as always, Thomas. Uh, mm. The banking crisis is dead. Long live the banking crisis. <laughs> Like Brangelina and Benefer, lithium in Chile is now so popular it's simply known as Chilithium. We'll take a look at what's going on. Maybe <laughs> maybe wow. uncover Chilithium sex tape or something. <laughs> There's absolutely uh, zero information in that introduction about what, what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> oh, rubbish, Thomas, rubbish. Speaking of rubbish, <laughs> clean away. <laughs> Still in trouble? No. Bin Knight is back on, baby. Uh, But first, my economic prediction from last week came true. Thomas, you you might remember, uh, I predicted that economists were terrible at forecasting. And so it was the economic community collectively held the RBA's beer while it dropped the bomb with another rate hike. Thomas, you and 21 out of 30 other economists uh, thought we were done with rate hikes. 
What's mm. going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, at least I thought the pause would last a little longer. It's pretty, mm. it's a little bit unusual. Like it feels a little bit all over the shop to be hike for 10 months, pause, hike again. <laughs> like it's reasonable, it's fairly unusual. You never know what Phil's going to do. That's This is his strategy. He keeps people on their toes. It does. It do, oh, yeah, every, like everyone was scratching their heads over it. Hmm. I mean, it, the interesting thing is like, there was really no new data between April and, and May that suggested that a rate hike was back on. So we had the employment data, which was like more or less as expected. We got March quarter CPI, uh, which was weaker than expected, if anything. Hmm. So there's nothing. there was not like they were responding to any data in, in the Australian sector. And when, when he sort of in the press conference afterwards, he's saying that, he said there were three things that the RBA had observed, further evidence that Australia's labour market is still very tight. Hmm. Well, yeah, we knew that. That didn't change. Uh, services inflation is uncomfortably persistent abroad. So hmm. that's kind of interesting. Like that's sort of, like you know, if we're saying like, like if it's, we've got services inflation in the US, is that the story? Is it for the same reason we've got services inflation here? That's not, that's not entirely clear why we're now looking abroad or like, def- and definitely like the situation abroad didn't change in a month. Mm. Like still, at, like that's shouldn't shouldn't be shifting your view <laughs> on one month of one month of data there. Right, you're laughing. Why? Why? Oh, I just feel like we're gonna like. I'm hoping number three is gonna be like. And there was also like magical fairies stealing biscuits in the kitchen or something. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like a big reveal, reveal. <laughs> where, where it turns out that, that um, yeah, that Phil Lowe and the RBA are just kind of seeing things or, or on some acid trip or something. And that's that ex- <laughs> like a big, it was all a dream. <laughs> well, no, the, th- the third thing he's pointed to is that asset prices, including the exchange rate and house prices, are responding to changes in the interest rate outlook. Right. So what he seems to be saying there is that house prices are lifting. We saw house prices lift in April, in, in March and April. Sydney house prices are now growing at 3% over the quarter. So yep. like you annualise that, that's 12%. That's booming. So Sydney, mm. Sydney house prices are, are, are off and running. Yeah. And he's saying that that seems to be coming from an expectation that we're going to get rate cuts, that rate cuts are coming quickly. Right. That creates a little bit of a problem for the RBA because if you there's something called the wealth effect. So as as house prices go up, households feel wealthier and they start spending more. So that pumps your economy along at a time mm. when the RBA is trying to slow it. So that seems to be what he's responding to. But none of that's particularly convincing. None of, none of that is view changing. I don't think it's not yeah, and right. he's sort of saying like it was it was a balance. It was finally balanced in April. It was finally balanced in May, and they just went for it. But I mean, probably the most likely outcome is that the, the banking crisis, which we'll talk about in the next break, was sort of picking off, which was was kicking off. And I think there was a bit of like, well, maybe we should just wait and see how this plays out before we before we start hiking. And then once it was like, okay, now it looks okay, hmm. we'll hike. Then, funnily enough, now it looks like it's back on again. So, mm, I. I did call out when we came back from a couple of weeks off that that the RBA obviously leans pretty heavily on information that they get from comedian versus economist mm. and that that was, that was quite likely the reason that they paused the rate hikes because mm. in our absence, Thomas, mm. they had no idea what was going on in the world yeah. of, of economics. So now that, we're, now that we've resumed normal programming, it's no surprise to me at least to see that 
they've resumed their rate hike program because they can now have confidence that mm. they understand the, the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the four data points we offer each week really paint a, a clear view <laughs> of economic <laughs> conditions. A few lulls. Plus a few lulls. Throw in yeah, some yeah. throw in some chuckles. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. It creates mm. a good vibe. It's like a, it's important to have a, a healthy, you know. I did just. Yeah. A, I imagine that, you know, probably our podcast being played across the <laughs> RBA's uh, PA system each week is possibly the highlight of the week for most of the employees in what would otherwise be a fairly, a fairly, you know, droll Monday yeah, in yeah. existence. Yes. So yes. <laughs> yeah. So what do we do then next? What do you What do you reckon? <laughs> What's your, what do you think? Well, we've got to <laughs> we've got to keep rate, we've got to keep hiking at least another one after this one, otherwise oh, the RBA is going to look wow. a bit foolish. Okay, you're the only economist in Australia that thinks that, but that's my prediction. Yeah, you think? Wow, I'm backing that okay. in 100. percent Forecasting's easy. <laughs> It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like all we're doing yeah. now is after after 21 out of 30 economists that were surveyed. Um, got it wrong. Mm. All we're doing now is is just going back and talking about you know why we were misled or why, mm. and, and ultimately it does. It's like a, it's like we, we meant I mentioned gambling before. It's like a gambler kind of going, oh yeah, but like after mm. they tipped, I don't race know, five number race five, five number five, <laughs> then it it loses. It's someone who's still at that point is going. Oh yeah, but the form showed that it was mm, it was definitely mm. going to win. It was definitely going to win. So something else has gone wrong that we don't know about. And that's but that always happens. And you mm. just have to stand by your results. And I think economists as as forecasters, if they're going to mm. forecast, yeah, you got to stand by your stand by your tips, stand by mm. your results. Yeah. Does this rate rise have any sort of implications for equity valuations? They're talking about house prices. Yeah. Is it does it carry across into my portfolio as well? Well, I think it's interesting in the sense of like markets are now pricing in rate cuts. Mm. They're thinking that that both you know, US and Australia have gone too hard and we're gonna have to reverse rates reverse course very quickly. Mm. You know, we're talking about fifty basis points by the end of the year in Australia, which would be quite a turnaround. They're talking about four rate rate cuts in America, which would be an epic turnaround, given there's, you know, there's only really six months to sort of deliver those on. By the end of the year. By the end of the year. That's what I mean, bond markets are a bit funny, but that's the you know, that's the market's best guess. They know that the RBA cut the number of meetings they're having, didn't they? Oh, they haven't like that's, that's not that's not in policy yet. That's just still the recommendation phase. Oh, no, okay. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. Very good. Yeah. But like you look at look at the the current rally. So S P is mm. up fifteen percent since October, ASX is up eleven percent. So doing pretty well. So some people say that well, that's based on the view that we've got rate rate cuts are coming that mm. we'll get through the tightening cycle quickly and we'll move quickly into rate cuts. Right. I, I don't know. That's starting to look like a bit of an iffy bet. I think because mm. it's quite possible that we you know we might even get another one, maybe two from from the RBA's language. Yeah, out of the RBA, this tightening cycle, and then even then, once we're done, like how long? Till we sort of reverse course, we could sort of, you know, inflation gets a bit sticky. It doesn't come down as quickly as we like. The economy does okay. A lot of economic indicators are still looking all right. So it's not, we're not banking in, we're not baking in a recession yet. So, you know, maybe, maybe cuts aren't coming 
as soon mm. as the markets think. And if that's the case, and if that reality lands, then if if that that run up we've had in in the last six months or so has been based on the idea that rate cuts are coming, as that view evaporates, we might see that run up unwind. Right. Um, where, well, where does that sentiment come from? Does it come from We've talked about forecasting a lot, but is that what it's based on? I mean, is there other information that's, or is it just people sitting around going, well, I reckon this is what's going to happen? Hey, what's the, the markets do that collectively? Yeah. Like, I mean, is it like, are we talk? are we talking, <laughs> I don't know where the information comes from. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like it can come from expert predictors or expert mm. sort of ec- economists mm. or does it come f- or does the market sort of, I don't know, the, the market, I've never quite understood how the market thinks as a whole. You know, we talk about yeah. well, the market thinks this and the market thinks that or ha- how does the market formulate the market's decision? It's not a single entity. Do you, do you, know, do you, know, the, do you know the jelly bean counting study? You know the fair game competition. We had to guess the number of jelly beans in a mm. in a in a jar. Yeah. The chances of any one guess being right are you know random. But mm. if you if you look at the distribution of all the guesses, the center, mm. the average is very close to the actual number. Huh. And what tends to happen is that you have high guesses and you have low guesses, but they all tend to cancel out, and your average ends up being actually quite close. Right. So I think it's a bit of that in the market. So you look at sort of what people are willing to pay for stocks right now. Mm. Some people are willing to pay too much. Some people aren't, aren't willing to pay enough. But on average, you, you, the idea is it kind of reflects mm. the, like the most, the most likely outcome going forward based on the information that we've got. Right. And so then when we say the market is pricing in a rate cut, we're saying mm. the, the cost of the stock equity mm. whatever uh no well, that's it out of the bond market so when we're talking oh, about the bond pricing, market yeah we're talking about rate cuts because bonds are a bet on interest rates right and so because that's that that futures in there so what people are willing to pay for certain bonds reflects ah, people's idea of where where rates are going to be yeah 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 right. but it can also there's also a risk element in there that gets factored in which but mm. uh, yeah i don't know so but, but more or less that's that's what you can say but it's the bond markets it's not what people who only trade equities think when we say that. When we say the market's right. pricing in a rate cut, it's only what bond traders are willing to pay. Okay, good. Well, I think maybe we'll make a note for future episodes that if we're ever struggling to have things explained, if we could re- relate anything back to lollies and kind of candy and use that as an analogy, <laughs> mm, <yeah. laughs> we'll be in much, much better shape. <laughs> yeah, your confectionery and gambling guide to the economy. <laughs> All right, Thomas, the banking crisis, I thought it went away, mm. but it's not gone away. What's no, going on with banks? No. Yeah, so this is, we're talking about America here, so mm. a lot of wobbles around PacWest Bank based out of Beverly Hills as it is right. uh, and some sort of worries about Western Alliance Bank out of Phoenix. Mm. So we've had three bank collapses in the past two months. So it's two months since SVB, Silicon Valley Bank collapse, which we talked about at the time. Mm-hmm. It's big news. We've then had two more since then. Um, and now there's worries building around these other two banks. It's not not going away, definitely not as quickly as, as the government would like. Mm. Mm. And then we had this um, report from out of the Hoover Institution by Professor Amit Seru right. and a group of banking experts. And he reckons that there's yeah, 4,800 4, banks in the US, mm. quite a lot of banks, 
US has yeah. a lot of banks relative to the population, but 4,800 banks. Of those 4,800, 2,315, like almost half, uh, are currently insolvent, that they have assets worth less than their liabilities. Sorry, go back. How many out of that 4,000? 2,315. So about half of them. About well, half. More than half are, in, are insolvent. Yeah, a bit less than half. Uh, yeah, insolvent. Right. Yeah, so they, they're, ass, they're sitting on assets that are worth less than their liabilities. Gee. Mm. I'm no expert, but that sounds bad. Yes, yeah, we, mm. we, can, we, can, we can say that's bad. He reckons mm. the market value of their loan portfolios is $2 trillion lower than the stated book value. Wow. Yeah, so he says it's spooky to Professor Amitsuri, says it's spooky. Thousands of banks are underwater. Let's not pretend that this is just about Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. A lot of the US banking system is potentially insolvent. Is this new news or is this like have we just all, like we've always known this and um, and we're okay with it, like as in managing debt and things like that? No, no, this is concerning. This is concerning. A bank shouldn't be insolvent. No business, no business should be insolvent. There's, there's no. There's well, no I don't know because be you hear about you hear about all these companies, these big tech companies that aren't turning oh, yeah, a profit. Zombies. You know, like, yeah, yeah, and they're they're sort of oh, we're, we're investing in these companies even though they're yet to post a profit, they're yet yeah. to do anything significant. Mm. They've got a great cracking idea, and and we're all in. So yeah, I don't know. I just think it's important <laughs> to understand if someone's in, if a company's insolvent, is that a, a bank? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's bad. It's spooky, as right. he says. Yeah, half the banking system's insolvent. The thing is, the thing is, like they've calculated this, so they're not currently they're not technically insolvent. If they're technically insolvent, you, you know, you're not allowed. I don't think you're allowed to trade. I think that's the case with the bank, but you should be wound up. You should go into bankruptcy. But they're not. They're they're insolvent on their calculations, but not on their stated book values. So what's going on? He's saying is that. Like we talked about this with Silicon Valley Bank with their bonds and their bonds, you know, were losing value because interest rates were rising and the bonds were, were, were what their loan book was based on, which isn't a problem because they didn't, they didn't register the losses because you can, you can classify your bonds two ways. They can be available for sale, in which case you've got to mark to market, you've got to price them at their current market value or you can say you're holding them to maturity, in which case you don't have to price them at the current value and you just leave them on your books. And that's okay as long as you don't have to sell them. And if you have to sell them, then you've got to sell them at market prices and then you get into trouble. And that's what happened with um, Silicon Valley Bank. There was a run, people wanted their deposits out, they had to sell their bonds, which meant they had to sell their those bonds that they were going to, you know, had classified as hold to maturity, they had to sell them into the market. And they sold for a loss, and then they went under. I think I know the answer to this question. But when the bonds reach maturity, is that does that result in the sale of the bonds, or are you just kind of giving them back and they're giving you the money? So is that yeah, like yeah. a yeah? So you don't have to you don't have to worry about when your bonds reach maturity because it's already been predetermined what the price is going to be at the end, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that so so what he's saying is that. Because a lot of these small lenders are doing what Silicon Valley Bank did and just classifying these as hold, um, hold to maturity, they don't have to mark them down. So, right. which which makes their book makes their book value look better than it actually is. Yeah. The other thing is the commercial banking sector. So they've got loans. Sorry, the commercial real estate 
sector that they've got loans to the commercial real estate sector that's slumping but they haven't written down they haven't marked to market their their commercial property lending right yeah and they're saying like commercial property slumping most analysts seem to predict that commercial property values are going to fall further. See, I'm hearing a lot of excuses. I'm hearing a lot of, <laughs> I'm hearing a lot of, uh, oh yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> per, per our previous conversation about interest rates and predictions, I'm hearing a mm. lot of, a lot of, oh yeah, but things will, oh, oh, don't worry, a, a win's just around the corner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a bit like that. It might be okay. Like if they yeah. can hold their the bonds to maturity, yeah. they'll be okay. And if, you know, the commercial property sector doesn't you know the the bum doesn't fall out of that mm. and all the they don't end up with a whole bunch of bad loans on their book yeah. if commercial property prices start to rise or they don't fall as much as people expect they might all be okay but yeah if 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 it gets a run on if confidence starts to evaporate and, and people start to pull money away from from the small regional banks mm. then it can then it can move quickly because if they've got to meet the market where they're at they can't you know they're relying on time to remain solvent mm. right now they're not actually solvent in practice yeah and they may not have time like so mm. that's where the the run on the bank takes away the time variable so you've got at the mm. moment they're fine because one of the variables in the equation is time and as long as time stays at what it is they're yeah. okay but if the yeah. if the run happens everyone comes and says we all need our money Mm. You lose all that you, you have to d- deliver now. You lose time, and now your now your equation doesn't look so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah, did a quick right. quick Google because I heard on the radio this morning. So PacWest Bank is up eighty percent today. Its share mm. price um, today. Yeah, today. It but was it was down ninety percent last week. Yeah. <laughs> Still, <laughs> if you bought the dip, bought the dip, yeah. you'd be happy. Uh, so I keep so I keep yeah. hearing credit crunch. Yeah, is this what? What do we mean by credit crunch? Is that is that the definition then? The credit crunch is well, no, a, a credit crunch in sort of broad economic terms is when banking conditions tighten, mm. independent of monetary policy. So, for lending conditions can tighten because the the Fed or the the RBA is raising rates. But credit conditions will also tighten when the banks go. Oh, you know what? We're a bit overextended here. Mm. We're going to start winding it back. We're going to, you know, really look at the quality of our loan book. We're only going to lend to super high quality lenders. We're going to lend less than we otherwise would. We're going to mm. demand more collateral. All these little things that they can do to sort of protect themselves if they're feeling overexposed. But what that does is reduces the amount of credit available in the economy. And uh, right. And because so much economic activity is financed by debt, if there's less credit available, that tends to translate into less economic activity. Mm. And so you get you get you can get an economic a credit crunch can create an economic downturn. Is sort of right. the idea. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So debt's okay as long as it's not the banks that are in debt. Is that what the takeaway is here? <laughs> uh, I mean, nah. the banks are always in debt, I suppose. To yeah, someone. that's their business model. So the yeah, okay. So the insolvency is not a debt situation. It's more of a yeah. I mean, all, it's, that, it's, all that money's tied up at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're in a, they're in a jam, and it's mm. and it's. I mean, even if it just remains like contained to the regional banks, the small regional banks, mm. they, amount for, they account for 40% of US banking credit. So mm. it's still a very sizable whack. And in that, in that report, they, they had one, one, of the, one of the 10 most vulnerable banks that they 
looked at was a global systemic entity with assets over one trillion. Mm. So they're large. These, we're talking about some large banks here, right? Yeah, and if they fail, even if they're small banks, if they fail, then then it's got to go somewhere, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, it so does. So like Great. we heard about J.P. Morgan buying up Silicon Valley Bank, the First Republic. Oh, yeah. First Republic. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, and that that was interesting because the J.P. Morgan ended up buying it, but only after the government committed to give them fifteen billion dollars and and a whole a whole bunch of cheap credit. What to give J.P. Morgan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because apparently a whole lot of potential buyers looked at First Republic and then looked at their commercial real estate book and went, oh, not touching that. But JP Morgan said, well, we'll take it. If you give us 15 billion. If you billion. give us 15 billion. <laughs> I would have taken it if you just yeah. gave me 15 billion. <laughs> well, yeah. so what does the Fed do now then? They can't be just giving off 15 billion every time a bank falls over and giving it to JP Morgan or Chase Bank or some big bank. Lehman Brothers, they still around? <laughs> <laughs> Lehman Brothers. Uh, no, that's right. I mean, yeah, the, the, the you know, Federal Deposit Insurance Corp or whatever that's called, the FDIC, yeah, yeah. That, that's only got so much money. So you think, mm. then you need to bail that out, which would be all right. But you can buy your way out of a banking run. Mm. So you can, you know, you can just throw money at a bank. If, the, if a run starts to build, you just throw a heap of money at it and say like, no, nah, you're all good, everyone's fine. And, and people go, oh, okay, we can relax, we're going to get our money and you, and you stop the banking run. But deposit guarantees don't fix solvency issues. If the problem mm. is fundamentally there's a solvency issue and if economic conditions don't improve in time and then the banks actually start have to marking marking their assets to market then they go then they're going to have to say like oh actually we're kind of a bit close to insolvent at which case their bondholder bondholders and creditors start mm. start pulling out and then the bank collapse and it's not a run it's just like people going like don't want to touch an insolvent bank thanks yeah wow and and that puts the puts the fed in a really tricky spot because the way to fix it is if, if it's bonds in commercial real estate, that's creating your problem. The way to fix it is to cut rates because you cut rates, that pops up your, your, your bond asset values and it increases commercial property prices. Right. So it comes back, that's how it ties back to rates. Yeah, the Fed could potentially fix it. I mean, mm. they created this problem with, with super cheap money. This is sort of the, the, the story with it. But you've got inflation, so they don't want to cut rates. Hang on, they created it with super cheap money. Mm. So low interest rates. Low interest rates, yeah. But now it's a problem because of high interest rates? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So like okay. the, 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 there was a heap of money going into commercial mm. real estate because money was super cheap. People right. were buying bonds because they thought they were stable and safe. They yep. were safe but didn't end up being stable. Right. That's sort of like we're dealing with the consequences of that now. Right. So the okay. Fed could, could walk it back mm. and go like, okay, sorry, guys, we're just going to walk this back and yep. – help the banking system out, but if there's inflation and the yeah. Fed's got to fight inflation. And if they do, if they bail out the banking system by winding it back while inflation's hot, then they lose all incre- ill credibility with inflation. Oh, I take it back. Economics is hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I reckon I need a break. I might even go and have a little lie down before we do the second half of the show. Uh, we're going to be back after the break talking Chilean lithium uh, as well as the clean away driver shortage. We will be right back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. You can, of course, send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or via the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. You can, of course, also send us a message via Instagram and Facebook at CVE Podcast. And before we get on with the second half of the show, perhaps uh, you'd like to fire up your podcast app and leave us a little rating or even a review. Uh, that would be much appreciated. It does help us out in ways that you may never understand, but just know you've done something good. On with the show, Thomas uh, Chile, 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 Chile has big plans for their lithium sector. Yes. What's going on? I spend my, I, this is where I focus my attention for this entire break is how to pronounce Chile. No, yeah. So, yeah, big, big plan. So, they're, they're the second, they have the second largest reser- discovered reserves behind Bolivia in the world, and they're the second largest lithium producer behind Australia. Right. Yeah. And they're planning to nationalize the country's lithium production. What does that mean? Uh, basically, they're going to bring it under state control, bring it under government control. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, I mean, it got reported as nationalisation. Strictly, that would mean when the government takes over the companies operating in the space. They're not doing that. They're just going to say, going forward, all lithium projects are going to be run as public-private partnerships with the government managing the project. Right. So, and the idea is here that they want to they want to capture the benefits of of their lithium resources and, you know, help build their local economy. They want to sort of do some more value adding rather than just shipping raw lithium out. They want to start scale, you know, do some value add. Yeah. Processing, um, and use it as a tool for economic development. And they're, and they're feeling that, that without owning the projects and running the projects that, that they're just giving too much power to the foreign companies doing the actual mining and not capturing enough of the benefits. This might, this might affect, a company called Lithium Chile, which uh, ironically is a Canadian company. Huh. Um, yeah, there you go. I just I googled that before on my research for this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, lithium's in the earth, and you know, I guess the state owns the earth. To, for, you know, without getting too mm-hmm. philosophical, philosophical <laughs> about who owns the, the earth, um, but the state owns the earth. So therefore, I guess they're saying, well. We want to be compensated. You can't just be, but they'd sell the title to the lithium companies to dig it up, wouldn't they, for the mining? Uh, I think they would work in a partnership. Public-private right. partnership seems to be the model they're they're proposing. Is a good idea? Should we should we do the same for the Australian mining sector, or do we do that already? No, we don't. And I think it would be a good idea. Like I like 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, we look, the budget's coming out tomorrow. We're not. Um, I don't talking about it too much, but mm. one of the things is that they're ra- putting a, they're raising the petroleum resource rent tax by going to raise an extra two point four billion dollars, which is fairly weak. Like, it's pretty soft. So <laughs> you can think about so the the LNG industry, the gas industry, has will. Um, bring in $91 billion in export earnings this financial year. That's up threefold from the past over the last year. So they're making an extra $60 billion this year on the back of the war in Ukraine. Um, nothing nothing actually happened. They're just war prices have, have gone up, but they've made a killing on that. So they're booking an extra $60 billion. We're paying heaps more for electricity. Electricity prices are through the roof. They're driving mm. a third of the inflation, which is then giving us higher um higher interest interest rates rates because we're fighting inflation. So we could have avoided that if we had owned those resources and we didn't have to book that profit. That would have just been tax revenue and it would have been Uh, been great. Or we could have just kept energy prices lower and avoided the whole inflation story. But in the end, what we've decided to do is of that $60 billion, we're going to raise $2.4 billion over four years. So we're going to take about half a billion of that, $60 Mm. that they've made, um, we're then going to fu- funnel that back through to energy relief, giving um, low-income earners um, $500 each, which will then go back to the energy companies to pay the bills. As, to pay the bills. Yeah, right. See, mm-hmm. that's going to hurt the energy companies, isn't it? Yeah, that, yeah. They lose that half a billion out of the 60. 60, yeah. Only, only to be that. without it for literally could be up to days, even days, weeks, even weeks <laughs> before weeks. they get it back through low-income earners. That's yeah, good outcome, <laughs> that one. Yeah. <laughs> they're pretty happy about it actually. <laughs> Got announced and they're all like, this is, this is pretty reasonable. And I was like, come mm. on. Yeah. So, yeah, so they, they've made an extra $60 billion off the blood of Ukrainians. Mm. That, and it jacked up our energy prices. We're paying more for energy. We're paying higher interest rates because of it. Mm. And then all the government does is takes a teeny bit back and funnels it back to the companies. So what should they have done though? Like, I mean, what what's the... Nationalise them. Nationalise them? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean... Well, I, I guess like, I mean, the war in Ukraine, right, it's a mm. tragic thing. Like they didn't they didn't start the war. And like, no. so it just it happened and that pushed the prices up. And then and like, they just made heaps of profit out of it. So what should the government have done at that point, though? Should they have just like super profits tax? Either, either, yeah, super profits tax, which what the UK, which the UK has gone down. Yeah. You look at Norway has like a, a resource tent. They capture a huge amount of, of of revenue from their oil and gas industry. Mm. We, you know, we we capture barely any relative to Norway. It's embarrassing. Mm. So you, yeah, either have a, that super profits and do it seriously, not this two point billion billion fiddling around with the PERRT, mm. which even if it comes true, and, and historically it tends to under-deliver in a pretty epic way, or you have a price cap, which is what Western Australia has, which right. means, uh, you know, a domestic gas reservation, which keeps the price lower for locals and yeah, says that okay. you've, got, you've got to supply the local market at reasonable prices before mm. you start exporting it all off, offshore and making heaps of money. You right. know, so, you know, looking after Australians. Yeah. That's what they, you know, should have done. So why didn't they? Uh, I think because they're captured by the by the resource industry. 
oh, in okay. a pretty epic way. Yeah, just, I think lab- just, labor- just, it's just your standard run-of-the-mill corruptive sort of behaviour. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. They write their own code of conduct. It's, yeah, it's not right. as we and and Labor's I think is scared because you know they 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 smashed the Rudd Gillard government. You know mm. the Abbott. You know that that whole story that was all funded and driven by the resource industry. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think they're they're not doing Australia any favors. I reckon nationalism. My hot take. (laughs) 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 All right, Thomas. Finally, on the show, we got an update from Cleanaway. Apparently, they're not asking their exec executives to drive uh, garbage trucks anymore. What's going on? I didn't realize they were. No. Yeah. Well, maybe not quite executives, but they they noted at the start of the year they had a bit of a a a truck driver shortage for their garbage Mm. trucks. A driver crunch. Driver crunch. Yes. So, and they they were (laughs) asking. Not a thing. Not a thing. No. Uh, They were asking their managers and supervisors to step in um, and and drive the actual trucks. I don't know about you know the C suite. I think. They weren't getting their hands dirty. No. But yeah, they, yeah they, but there was a shortage. They had um, 773 open vacancies at, at its peak, right. um, saying that normal is like three or 300-odd or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting Interesting point there. You can't, they're saying we can't get to zero. You know, they never have no vacancies. There's always some churn going on in that, in that job market. Right. A bit like full unemployment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Look at me! Look at me! Just ripping out economic terms, like in, yeah. in conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. But yeah, but the CEO Mark Schubert last week said that they they were getting on top of that. They're now down to from that seven seventy three. They're down to six hundred and twenty two. Why was there Why was there the shortage to begin with? Yeah, I don't know exactly. I think I think immigration, the closed borders, was a bit of a story. Saying oh, like yeah. he's saying Mark Schubert was saying a lot of their their new drivers it's the first job that they'll have in australia right yeah so i think maybe the closed borders was was tr- helping that story maybe um also also it's just a very tight labor market and i think maybe mm. you know try the truck drivers were sort of it was they had to compete harder to to get the workers and let's be honest not the most sought after role yeah going around you know doesn't have that mystique <laughs> of <laughs> bond trader does it <laughs> Graphic design, but I tell you what, AI is not gonna, you know, yeah. not gonna come for your job. Oh, mate, well, no, it probably will. Self-driving, Self, self-driving yeah. trucks. trucks. Yeah, yeah, sorry, bad news. <laughs> but yeah, I mm. mean, I, I guess it pays pretty well. Like you, you got to do a, a twelve to sixteen week training program to become mm. a, a driver from scratch. Oh, yeah. Like if, if you have, if you have your heavy vehicle driver's license already, I think it's less. But right, yeah, there's a sixteen week training program. One of the things they did, which was interesting, is they launched the female driver academy in early 2022. Ah. Um, yeah, they recognised that um, they didn't have a lot of women driving the trucks. They've, they've got 2,600 truck drivers. They've now got that number up to 166 thanks to the Driver Academy but still very small percentage. Pretty shrewd business move too when you think about it. They'll be able to save about 13.4% on average thanks to the gender pay gap alone. <laughs> so... <laughs> don't, ex- don't accept less pay, ladies. <laughs> but no, smart. They, they found there's hmm. a the untapped niche there. Get get them involved. So yeah, that's yeah. that's that's that was their strategy for, and it seems to it seems to be paying it seems off. To be he, he reckons. Mm. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> All right, we might leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Uh, don't forget FinFest 2023 is locked in November the 11th, 2023 at the Carriage Works in Sydney. We hope to see you there. But for us this week, that is all. It is bye for now. 
You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.